Hi guys, welcome to episode 167 of Fitter Food Radio. So it's me, Keris, no Matt today, but I do have an awesome guest with me. Her name is Dot Zacharias. I'm hoping I said your surname correctly, Dot. And uh, Dot is someone who I met actually doing some corporate nutrition work. And I was there to cover the food side of things. And Dot was a sleep coach. She's actually the first sleep coach I think I've ever met. Um, Hello, Dot. So amazing to have you here. Hi. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) You have, you also have the poshest accent. I think you're one of the poshest people I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I try not to actually. People tell me that and I do try, yeah, try not to sound too posh. We just had a little chat before the podcast started though. I was thinking like, you're like royalty in terms of, it's like watching the crown, it's like watching the crown, listening to you speak. (laughs) Oh, that's so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) But what I really liked when uh, Dot and I met doing our kind of corporate event, we clicked instantly because we not actually had a chance to speak before both of us had to get up in front of a group and do our presentations. But there was actually quite a lot of similarities in what we were saying. So with the nutrition side of things, I was talking about looking at the bigger picture about around food choices. So looking at your mental, emotional health, looking at how much sleep you've got, because that affects, again, the choices you make around food and things like caffeine across the day and looking at some of your triggers and causes of of why you kind of struggle maybe to make the right decision. And you did a really similar thing dot with sleep. Um, Mm. And again, I had a kind of matrix that I used to present, um, you know, kind of client stories and cases. And you had a really similar diagram that you put up just to give people a sense of a bigger picture when it comes to sleep health. And that's really what I'd love you to kind of dive into today and get people to go a bit upstream. And and, uh, I think, Mm. we're we're becoming this culture that binges on we learn something about sleep and then we have this little binging hour before bed where we do everything to try to calm down our body you know desperately trying to read fiction and take loads of magnesium and breathe but the rest of the day it can be quite chaotic you've also worked with our members and on some of the online retreats that I've done and, and the feedback's been wonderful so I'm really looking forward to this chat but it'd be awesome if you just start off by telling us a little bit about you where you are, name of your company, and how you became a sleep coach. Yeah, perfect. Thanks so much. So as you said, my name is Dr. Zacharias. I'm a sleep coach for adults. I don't usually work with children. There are many coaches for children. And I really got into this through personal experience. So working, having a very busy career in in London and with the arrival of my first child, suffered insomnia and sort of postnatal anxiety. And so those sort of that period for me was really, really challenging. And it helped me to kind of understand the impact that sleep deprivation really has on our life, especially for me in that incredibly sort of important period of of my life, transition to motherhood and just not getting the sleep that I needed made everything so hard. And I was losing my temper, really struggling with my mood and my energy Obviously, my productivity at work was really low and was struggling to, to bond with my child as well. And it wasn't the kind of being woken up by, the, by my baby at night. It was when she was sleeping, I was lying wide awake, staring at the ceiling and sort of just crying. <laughs> just <Aww>. couldn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, and so from that, I really set about kind of changing my relationship with sleep. And I became fascinated in our relationship with sleep as a society. And so kind of asking why are so many people struggling to sleep when, as you say, there's so much information out there, sort of an overwhelming amount of information and people are still struggling to make the changes or to identify what they need to do in order to improve their sleep. So I just became more and more interested in that and looked into kind of different ways that I could I could train. So I sort of took a lot of different trainings, sleep coaching for adults, as well as coactive coaching, as well as eye rest meditation, and also was mentored by Dr. Neil Stanley, a leading um, sleep researcher in the UK. And that really helped me develop my own kind of methodology, which is now called Restfully. And I went for Restfully because, you know, sleep is as much about our relationship with sleep as well as rest um, and how we can get the rest that we need. Sleep can feel like a heavy word sometimes for many people. And I'm also uh, work for the Nourish app, which is a mental health and wellbeing app for mothers as well. Oh, nice. 
Oh, so nice that there's so, so much more focus on, I, I can't even, having not been through that phase, I've only had a puppy for 12 weeks and that was hard enough. <laughs> <And then laughs> kind of the sleep deprivation and trying to understand what he wanted. And, and honestly, like it was, it was so taxing. So I'm just in awe of what new mothers must go through and, and how they cope and still continue with the sleep deprivation to even put a sentence together. Um, so it's nice to hear that there's, there's more support coming through and, and apps specifically. So now do, is this, you're now kind of working full-time again, so mainly focused with clients on, on doing the sleep coaching side of things. Yeah, so I kind of alternate between, I mean, I'm just so passionate about spreading what I've learned and what I offer people around sleep coaching. So I sometimes do corporate webinars as well as individual coaching. And I also offer content through the Nourish app. So my yoga nidra meditations, as well as some tips around sleep. So yeah, I just love kind of any way that I can get the message out there really is important. And I like that you differentiated between sleep and rest because they do kind of go hand in hand. And that's why I mentioned you can't have these kind of full, you know, like kind of have your whole day in top gear and then just, you know, headlands on the pillow and expect your body to just be able to, sometimes you do fall asleep through sheer exhaustion. I've definitely been there where I'm just mentally, so mentally fatigued as well as physically fatigued. But a lot of the time, like you, I'll be cramming so much into my day that I'll then lie in bed and and chattering mind kicks in and then it's just really hard mm. and and I've kind of developed strategies but again listening to you speak has got me looking at how I actually kind of put together my entire day and incorporating a little bit more downtime and rest which for me was kind of and I was always of the kind of approach that get it all done and then you can kind of finish up and have an evening with Matt and you never have the evening because you just keep going with stuff mm. um, but it's really nice that you've kind of actually encouraged the kind of rest side taking breaks um time out do people respond well to that or are they a little bit kind of reticent or you know it's not even through choice really everyone's just really busy isn't it with you know in terms of how much they have to do yeah, absolutely. And I think it is it is a, a quite a big message, you know, and it goes quite against everything else that we're told around our relationship with rest. And so quite often people are ready to kind of take it on when they are really suffering the consequences of of ignoring it for too long. And that is why I also really love working individually with people because it's much easier to work through an individual kind of situation of their history of relationship with rest and sleep or where their priorities are in life, you know, and what is the main motivator for them to start improving their sleep. So it's, it can be quite personal in terms of how people can relate to rest. And it's, it's this typical thing, you know, if you, if you just are given sort of told that you should <laughs> prioritize rest, that's quite difficult to take on board unless you have a kind of personal plan and maybe some sort of more tailored advice. So yeah, it's a, it's a message that can be hard sometimes to communicate effectively. Well, I think a lot of the time the influences on on your kind of relationship with both rest and sleep are very are almost external and go right back to maybe childhood and kind of influences from parents or peers even kind of academic pressures that you then develop this kind of default mode of just, you know, working all the time, achieving, pushing yourself. And there can be an element to which it feels lazy or weak, or there's a, there's a guilt element when, you know, someone might need you, someone in your family or, you know, partner, or you should be cooking dinner and actually you're tired and you know, you need to rest. And I think it's quite hard to almost allow yourself you know, you almost have to shut out the noise of the voices of the past and the, and the kind of pressures that have been put on you and, and, and really get to know your body now. And this changes with age. I think I've just noticed with every decade, I'm not as capable. I don't mean to sound defeatist, but I just can't do as much as I used to do without experiencing a negative effect of it. Is that yeah. again, something that you help people to look at who, who's kind of pushing them to, to work so hard and to deny themselves the rest they need? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's something I bring into every, yeah, every talk that I do is encouraging people to go away with a couple of questions about what does that little voice in your head tell you about sleep or rest? And as you say, what were some of the messages that you received about 
the value of sleep and rest when you were a child, maybe from your parents, maybe from society or, or friends, maybe as you went into the workforce, what were the messages there about productivity and, and what it means to be successful or happy <laughs> and all of these things interrelated and just a couple of kind of simple examples I had a coaching client who we got a lot of fixed a lot of the sleep fundamentals so we were working around sort of you know sleep hygiene and habits but it wasn't really until we got onto the conversation around beliefs around sleep that he identified that his his father had always said that sleep is for losers Oh, no. And he sort of had this moment where he was like, oh my God, I just, I didn't realize how much that is impacting me. And he just could not make the space in his life for sleep without feeling subconsciously, of course, like a loser. So that was a huge breakthrough, you know, for him. I have other clients whose kind of parents always said, we don't need sleep in this family. <laughs> and uh, he actually went back to his, his, uh, his, his grandparents and said, you know, well, you know, do you think this is really true? And, and it was really a kind of interesting conversation to start challenging some of these beliefs. And I mean, just in my family, I, I remember, you know, you wake up in the morning and say, how did you sleep? Oh, fine. There wasn't much room to say, actually, I'm really tired. Or, you know, saying I'm really tired feels like a, a weak sort of thing to say, right? It's quite yeah. hard. To talk about that everyone it's boring no one wants to hear it you know <laughs> so it gets a lot of bad press yeah it does it's also a reinforcer like I, I've had days where I haven't had great sleep and then I say to Matt he'll go to sleep okay and I was like no not really and then he'll say how are you I say, I'm tired and then I'll keep saying it across the morning and then I realize I'm making myself more tired by saying that I'm tired <laughs> and then sometimes I go just go and have a cold shower or a quick run and stop saying you're tired and think about why you didn't sleep so well and, and you know <laughs> use that to do something more, a bit more kind of uh, positive around sleep today mm. but it, it is a bit of a reinforcer but I was also going to say in that relationship with sleep you've also discussed on the kind of talks I've seen you do the fact that if you believe you're a bad sleeper so once you get sleep disruption or occurring and that could be either postnatally or through hormone changes or just generally you might be a very light sleeper that then it becomes difficult to be a good sleeper or challenging should we say yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I know you, you talk about relationship with food, which I just thought, or history of food. And I think that's so important. And it's the same here. Thinking back to maybe when a sleeping problem started, what the context was, and then questioning is the context still the same? You know, I have people who developed sleeping problems when they were had a very stressful period. Maybe they were, you know, working remotely or, you know, working in a hotel and it was long hours, a uh, consulting job or, or something like that. And they developed a sleeping problem and then they identify with that sleeping problem and they start saying, I'm a bad sleeper, I can't sleep. And that impacts our behavior, of course, because we do things like procrastinating in the evening, putting off sleep, and that kind of actually prolongs the kind of the the wind down time because we're sort of trying to avoid sleep so that's one thing yeah kind of identifying with a sleeping problem and quite often people find it quite difficult to change their belief around what kind of sleeper they are so even if they start sleeping better to get them to admit that they are no longer having sleeping problems and that maybe they're a good sleeper can be quite hard so that's so um, unusual yeah there's actually a sort of sign of um yeah it, it comes really close down to our identity and who we think we are I'm you know I'm, I'm somebody with a sleeping problem it can be quite comforting to hold on to that identity whereas if you think about who a good sleeper is you maybe would associate that as somebody who might be quite boring so I said, to somebody, I, said, I said what do you think you know how would you describe a good sleeper and she said you know well doesn't drink doesn't have any friends um <laughs> you know, I was like okay well you know maybe I can understand why you're having having, it's having power, challenges yeah. to to identify with a good sleeper so yeah there's so much there it's really fascinating but it is hard because also we're Matt and I are definitely early to bed early to rise and sometimes we're like God, we are so unsociable. If people come for dinner, we're like, come at four. 
Uh, we'll, we'll be your eight. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. And, and we all have different circadian rhythms as well. So some people are natural kind of early risers and, and early to bed. And it can be difficult. There is also a certain sense of coolness about being somebody who goes to bed late and sleeps in late, even though that is completely inconvenient for society you know if you've got to be up for school you've got to be up for work and it's unfortunate in some ways if you're an owl and go to bed late and wake up late but they're the people who were last to bed at a party and you know it's the larks the people who naturally need to go to bed early who are falling asleep in their plate at 10 p.m yeah Uh, that's me that's me so yeah it's difficult there's a lot of misconceptions and stereotypes i think about sleep that could be broken down could I mean, could you go through, because one of the things when people get interested in sleep, the first thing that I tend to see they do is is buy some kind of device, like a tracker or use mm. a watch, yeah, Apple watch and start to focus on quantifying sleep. So how, how many hours, looking at the quality, looking at the different types of sleep. Could you give us an overview of what exactly is happening in terms of the circadian rhythm? So sleep-wake cycle and the different phases of sleep. And then obviously I'm going to ask your opinion on trackers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. So I think, yeah, it is really interesting when you start getting interested in sleep and there's so much to learn about. So the first thing, there's there's two main processes that govern our kind of sleep-wake cycle. The first one is the circadian rhythm. So this is your 24-hour body clock. There's a master clock in the suprachiasmatic nucleus, but their whole body is kind of regulated around this 24-hour rhythm. So different physiological processes that happen throughout the day need to be coordinated. And so the body loves routine. The body loves to know what time you'll be falling asleep so it can prepare and what time it'll be waking up so it can prepare those processes. Of course, it's not like switching off a light or switching on a light, the process of falling asleep and waking up is is much more complicated. So your circadian rhythm really kind of keeps us on this day and night schedule. But the other process that's really important is your kind of sleep pressure. So throughout the day, you have an increase in a chemical called adenosine, and this is your sleep pressure. So after 16 hours, you will have enough adenosine in your body to feel sleepy and to be ready to sleep. And then that is sort of removed from your body um, over the eight hours of sleep, let's say, and you'll wake up in the morning feeling refreshed. So those two processes are kind of working in parallel to make sure that you get kind of the right amount of sleep at the right moment of the day as well. And then whilst we're sleeping, we have these sort of sleep cycles, which I'm sure everyone's heard about, that last around 90 minutes, but not necessarily. So the apps that wake you up after X amount of sleep cycles may not be completely accurate because it's not always 90 minutes. And so we cycle through the different sleep stages during a sleep cycle, those being REM sleep, stage N1, N2, and a deep sleep, which is N3. And we have most of the deep sleep at the beginning of the night and REM towards the end of the night. Typically, 25% of our night is spent in deep sleep, 25% in REM, and then about 50% N1, N2. So yeah, we cycle through these different sort of stages of sleep. It's quite normal to wake up as well after one of these sleep cycles. Typically, we can wake up for a couple of minutes without even really being aware of it, and we'll just go straight back to sleep. The only problem is when we have an underlying level of stress or something else is kind of waking us up that we struggle to go back to sleep. So yeah, that kind of gives a a slight overview. So the the apps, they are trying to both track how much time you're sleeping and they sort of have this quality sleep measure where they're trying to measure the different sleep um, stages. But actually it's very, very difficult with an app, let's say impossible to measure the different sleep stages (laughs) because they are only really measured by uh, measuring brain waves. So the apps will be measuring heart rate and breathing rate which are not very good indicators actually of sleep stages. So I had um, somebody came up to me and said, you know, I must be kind of complete um, biological anomaly. Like I spend 50% of the night in deep sleep. Like, you know, what's, what's <laughs> so actually he was just very fit and had a very low resting heart rate and breathing rate. And the app had interpreted this as deep sleep, but he, it wasn't deep sleep at all. So yeah, yeah. Word of caution would be with the app. It can probably tell you when you fell asleep and when you woke up. 
for that might be helpful. But um, what's interesting about that though is even um, the kind of heart rate side of things. You know, they track heart rate variability instead of just heart rate because heart rate and blood pressure can be low because you're exhausted, and so yeah. that could be like another factor so it's kind of interesting that it is kind of a sign of general health but it could also be that somebody is is actually overly overly fatigued and maybe highly stressed as well so um, exactly there's so many different things that could be going on there yeah I like that you said as well that it is natural to wake up because again I think this comes back to if you do wake and you can't think of a reason you don't need the loo or anything that you start to say I'm a light sleeper and, and actually like you may have just finished I don't look at a clock I try to be really strict with that because yeah. I think the clock gets me thinking you know even if I'm just thinking about there's um in Chinese medicine they have a body clock so it says if you're waking at a certain time it's because there's something going on with the system in the body so I've I on purpose do not look at the clock because I know I'll start thinking oh, what's what's wrong with my lungs <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly well there's two there's two sides of that so some people will look at the clock and start being worrying about that but there are some people who actually are so obsessed with not looking at the clock they uh, become very anxious about oh, really? not looking at the clock yeah so sometimes you, you know if you've become obsessed with not looking at the clock sometimes it helps just to look at it so yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. will lower that level of anxiety and stress in the night you know it's personal yeah and what sort of things can people expect through the different phases of sleep so obviously some are they're more likely to dream and then body temperature changes as well can you kind of outline what they might feel why they might wake up a bit hotter for example yeah, so we um, we do dream actually throughout the whole night, but it's um, in REM sleep that we have the kind of most vivid and story-like dreams, the ones that we sort of typically remember. And REM sleep is really important for processing our memories. And so actually um, what happens in REM is that the, the kind of emotional charge of a dream is, is detached from the memory itself so that we can move forwards in life with memories of everything that's happened without experiencing the same level of emotion that we experienced when that happened. Typically, people with um, post-traumatic stress disorder, they have recurring nightmares because their brain is not in a relaxed enough state to process that memory and detach the emotion. So it kind of keeps replaying to try and get processed, but doesn't actually manage to, to, to get there. So yeah, really, really, yeah, really important function of, of REM sleep. And we see that alcohol reduces REM sleep and REM sleep is so important for our emotional and our social kind of intelligence and mental health. So that's why we might be in a bad mood and feeling quite groggy as well after too much alcohol. And then deep sleep is really linked to physical recovery and rest. I mean, this is simplifying it a little bit, but um, yeah, deep sleep is when we see the body relax, breathing rate slow down, heart rate slows down, and we see an increase in growth hormones. So the muscles, the tissues, the cells are repaired, increase in T cells, which are great for immunity. So that's really the deep sleep. And that's why we used to think that deep sleep was sort of the most important part of sleep. And they would say like an hour before midnight is worth double. Um, oh, but yeah, it's been, it? yeah, but it's really just because deep sleep has that kind of, you feel like you've had a good night's sleep after deep sleep, but the REM sleep we're starting to understand is equally as important. And so REM is actually a very active state. We have a very um, increased heart rate, breathing rate. It's almost, the body is almost as active as when it's, when it's awake. But there is a disconnection between the brain. So the brain activity is also um, very high. But there's a disconnection between the, the brain activity and the body so that we cannot act out our dreams, in fact. Um, and there is a disorder called REM sleep disorder where that disconnection doesn't happen. And the body actually starts kind of acting out dreams. It's very rare. <laughs> but just to explain what happens in REM sleep. Yeah. Would that be what sleepwalking and talking is about? Actually, this is interesting. Matt, <laughs> Matt showed me a recording that his client had sent him and it was of her. They, they record at night, some kind of app records you talking because her husband had said you talk in your sleep. And it was like full on discussion and I mean like a proper conversation and it was hilarious and, and then you could hear him snoring so he's just completely out of it but would that be 
so it's these kind of versions of it if you're sleepwalking and talking and no that's actually something completely different so parasomnias when you're sleep talking and sleepwalking they're more likely to happen in deep sleep okay interesting oh wow yeah so to wake somebody up in their deep sleep will be that's why we try not to wake people up when they're sleep talking or sleepwalking is because they're probably in a very deep sleep so to come straight out of that to awake is is a very big jump and can be confusing for them whereas sort of yeah REM sleep it's a lighter sleep so it's easier to sort of wake up but some people who wake up in REM sleep they find they can't move their body so they feel they wake up and it can be quite scary because they feel their body is paralyzed but they're in REM sleep but awake so (laughs) it's too it's completely different yeah parasomnia is a deep sleep Mm -hmm. okay Oh God, that's fascinating. I always think of the dog when I watch the dog and he's having his little dream and he's jogging and he's woofing and you can actually see his eyes like shooting back and forth. So that's going to be REM sleep, isn't it? If he's... I think that would be yeah. REM sleep. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I've asked you about this before, but it is really interesting. Things like sleep jolts and things like that, that people get when they're kind of falling asleep and they, you know, have some kind of like, you usually you dream that you're falling, don't you, as you're actually falling asleep and then you trip over and then jump. What's, yeah. Is there anything that people can do about that or is there any kind of theory as to why that happens? Yeah, no, there's nothing really to do and there's nothing to worry about. So it is just the process of the body letting go and, and falling into sleep, which is obviously it's a kind of just a little hiccup, a glitch on that process, because the process of kind of, of um, falling asleep is more complicated than, than we might think. So it's just a little glitch on the way, but it's absolutely nothing to worry about. So, yeah, completely normal. It's, it's a transitional phase, a kind of hypnagogic state between being awake and asleep. I'd actually read, I don't know, I'm not tried this out on Max, he has them quite bad, but that sleep jolts and cramps can be helped by vinegar, apple cider vinegar or any vinegar, actually. I think it was cayenne pepper and something else because it can shut off the nervous system signaling to the muscle, which is what causes the kind of jolting movement. So I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> someone's developed a sleep shot, which is cayenne and vinegar and something else. I can't remember. Oh, what okay. There might have oh, been I another another yeah. kind of supplement in there as well. But again, I tend to see this more in in kind of very act fit, active, athletic people. Mm. So it is like almost like a continuation of their kind of upregulated state. I think in the day where there's a lot of a lot yeah. of training. And I was going to say another pattern that I tend to see is you might have seen a similar thing that do a lot of exercise, don't seem to struggle with that deep sleep and often kind of just probably I think through mental and physical exhaustion fall asleep. But because this is a bit of a generalization here, but a lot of people exercise to deal with kind of or to escape, should we say, kind of emotional stress and difficult situations in the past and they've developed exercise as their kind of coping mechanism. So they do still wake in the kind of early hours a little bit more. So in those situations, again, I'm assuming one of the solutions you'd be suggesting is that they probably go and explore a little bit of kind of mental and emotional support of of some sort. Mm. What what would you typically recommend? Do you have any kind of preferences like emotional freedom technique or uh, I saw Prince Harry in the papers at the weekend doing, uh, I always get this wrong way around. It's eye movement desensitization reprocessing, I think, isn't it? EMDR. Mm, yeah, that's supposed to be fantastic. It's it's worked really well for some of my clients. There's a lot of, as you say, it's probably exhaustion that helps them get straight into the deep sleep, but there might be also an underlying level of kind of stress or kind of unworked through unprocessed emotions. So Also, something to mention is that a lot of people with sleeping problems are kind of stuck in a fight or flight mode. The thing about sports when we're tired is that it it does kind of, as you say, cover up things and it can be a bit of an escapist and it makes us feel really good and really energized. But there's a, there's a certain element of stress to it as well. So the body, physiological stress, where the body is constantly alert and is constantly stimulated And to actually kind of bring our energy down a level during the day helps us to kind of go in and out of that high alert sort of stress, not, you know, in in a kind of alert state to something more relaxed. And we need to be able to go in and out of those states during the day to reconnect with our ability to go between our two sort of nervous systems, so the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So parasympathetic is the rest and digest response when we feel safe, when we feel relaxed, 
we feel calm. And yeah, the sympathetic is, is our fight or flight. So many people with sleeping problems are actually stuck physiologically in their sympathetic nervous system. So I imagine people who are kind of doing a lot of exercise to kind of keep keep the energy up may not be also attending to that more restful side during the day. So I think there's that kind of physiological side of rest and de-stress. So things can come through just really small moments during the day to take a kind of a mindful break or a pause. And it's very personal to what might work for you. It could be a calming walk. It could be a cup of tea. It could be a chat, but making time and it can be hard. It might be hard at the beginning to, to actually calm the body and the mind down. And it might be that there's some support required there as well to kind of make, make that work. And then, of course, we can yeah work on a deeper level on the kind of more emotional side. And for that, one of the things that I, I always recommend with sleep is um, yoga nidra because it tackles those two things, really. It helps your body to unwind and rest effectively through um, a series of different processes. So when you do a yoga nidra practice, there's a small settling practice at the beginning where you become aware of your surroundings and start just sort of a small mindfulness and then you move into a body scan where you move your attention around your body and as you kind of draw your attention to each part of the body it sort of releases and relaxes until your whole body feels completely relaxed and people say they kind of there's a numbness you almost can't feel your body anymore and then there's breathing so you're slowing down your breathing so it's a process of relaxing your body mindfully and consciously and then um, another sort of step in the yoga nidra once you're in that relaxed state is to start welcoming emotions that maybe you have been pushing out or ignoring and giving them a chance to come up and 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 processing those emotions so yeah i i always recommend yoga nidra either finding some great yoga nidra online or doing it one-to-one so yoga nidra is something you can practice one-to-one as well as a way to kind of relearn how to relax and process your emotions. And you've got some on the Restfully site that people can, is that right? You can, you can download yes. from your site a couple. And the reason I'm saying that is just as you were talking, I was just relaxing and breathing. And I was just like, oh, your exactly. posh, dot, posh just, dots voice is just perfect. Just, and just the, um, yeah, just the thought of it can be, can be. And actually that's so when I was having my insomnia, I was practicing a lot of yoga nidra. And in the end, I only had to repeat the first few sentences of yoga nidra. My body knew exactly exactly what to do it had kind of created that conditioning that automated response so it does you know you get the immediate benefits when you practice yoga nidra but it also has that generalization effect but over time your body will will be more relaxed uh, in general and will be able to go in and out of that relaxed state more easily as well so yeah on restfully it's restfully.com with a hyphen and then it's yoga nidra for sleep so you can go on there and find some some different yoga nidra practices and that could be used during the day or night. I think the important thing as well, it, it is about recalibrating and, and lockdown has probably, again, had a, a huge effect on our, our nervous system state. And I've gone through phases of my life where I just didn't know any of this stuff. And I just loved exercise and I worked you know, loved working really hard and, and I was all about the kind of graft. And it then just became so much harder for me to wind down at the weekend or to watch a film. My attention span was just like next to nothing. And over time, I've had like various different kind of, I suppose, health issues where my body's just called time on the whole thing, basically, and said, you're not doing this anymore. And, you know, I'll get injuries, all sorts of things. And I have to almost recalibrate and learn how to get that better balance. But then what's amazing about it is once you get the hang of it, and I still work with a lot of people that, that struggle, especially again, kind of people who are interested in fitness and training. And, and with that, we'll co- talk about this in a second, but comes coffee usually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and nearly all of them say like the only thing that I could, that can switch me off is alcohol. And, and so they've developed this kind of caffeine in the morning, exercise, work really hard. And then you want to shut yourself down and it has to be something instant because you, you almost can't do it or you feel like you can't do it yourself. One thing I always want to encourage people to do is, is, well, if you do it a little bit more of it across the week, 
your body just gets better at switching from one mode into the other and breathing is probably one of your best ways to start that process mm. um, but also environments like coming out of offices or you know wherever it is that triggers you to work harder putting that phone down shutting that laptop and then there's just so much amazing stuff right in front of your eyes that you've not even been paying attention to everything you've been missing because you're so kind of busy in your brain and busy in your kind of you know day to day and and just constantly into do mode so it's 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 actually in a, a much more amazing pleasant day you know and life but you know people miss it because it's just i suppose again it's just the way society's going and all the kind of external pressures that we're constantly put under it's it's, it's sad in so many ways but yeah it's and it's not sexy i think that's the other thing like mm. i definitely was in a, a, a period of loving kettlebells and marathon running and if anyone tried to get me in a yoga studio or breathing i i associated it with something spiritual which wasn't me mm. it was you know i suppose i wouldn't have said i thought it was people being lazy necessarily but I was like no I'm a high energy person I need this mm. to make myself feel good that doesn't work for me and over time you kind of end up having no choice in the matter if you're not careful so mm. I discovered it you know in a really difficult route but I'm really grateful that I did and I think now as I again get older I think it's just becoming a skill that I think everyone should be taught probably at school again you know we need to to, to understand the importance of kind of both different modes across our day and, and how they're going to really make sure that we've got that balanced and mental and emotional health as well as physical health. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much there, like so much there in what you spoke about. I think the first thing came to mind is the sense that stress can be addictive. And I don't yeah. mean stress as in the unpleasant stress, but that high adrenaline, that high cortisol where you feel really focused. And I see this a lot in the kind of fasting mentality as well, because it does give this brilliant headspace, like, wow. But people struggle to sleep because they're, again, um, lacking carbohydrates that will really help them kind of calm down, calm down their nervous system. So we're sort of going a little bit too far the other way. And as you say, that balance is so important. And it's something that I actually rediscovered my co-active training, which is a coaching which talks about co being the being and active the doing. And actually, sometimes, like you say, if you're too much into the meditation, the breathing, the being, actually, we can miss out on this whole brilliant energy that comes with the with the active side and, and the doing. And so it's about finding the right balance. And that changes throughout life as well. Like you say, you know, maybe in your 20s, you can be more in the in the doing. And maybe that that evolves as 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 we change sort of in our life circumstances. So balance, I think is key and knowing yourself, because this is also really personal. So I'm also a big follower of um, Ayurveda and the different body types. And there are some people I, I do believe who, who need to have more energy from external stimuli because they 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 tend to kind of lack energy. Whereas there are others like myself, who's a sort of more pitta, who can easily get overstressed, like very easily. You know, I have a more st high strung stress nature. I am naturally very active. So if I don't tend to that kind of more calming side, I will burn out. Like it's it's going to happen. Whereas, you know, somebody who is naturally kind of a more lethargic person, if they don't have this kind of really stimulating activity, then they can easily kind of slip into just not being active enough. So I, it's so personal as well. And I think like you just said, that emotional awareness is, is, is the kind of first step or in knowing your personality. And I think all of the traditional medicines and, and alternative medicines are quite useful for highlighting that element of our health. I have a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner who does herbs and acupuncture on me. And every time I see him, he's like, everything's looking better because I've kind of made lots of changes, but he's like, female yin is always low. And I'm just such a, a yang person. I always want to work hard, go for a run, have a coffee. Mm. And it's a strong coffee, you know, it's sort of like, the, um, they're, they're always trying to encourage me back to, you know, a little bit more. I mean, Tai Chi is perfect for me, but it's something that I'd really struggle to set aside yeah. an hour of my day to do something like that and, and really appreciate. I know it would like be transformational. It's almost like I'd have to run to the Tai Chi class <laughs> to be able to do and it. And have a double coffee afterwards. Yeah, yeah. basically. But, but it sounds, I, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? It's almost the things that we find most challenging that will bring us the greatest benefit. Yeah, totally, totally. 
And but I've got better listening to you. I've got better at doing things like you. You talk about working in cycles. Like we sleep in cycles. Could you work in cycles of like ninety minutes? Mm. Um, whereas I used to just cram everything in and 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 sit there and go. Like, you you can't leave your desk until you've got all of these tasks done. And I'd be kind of dribbling, but you know, I'd nail it all. Yeah. And again, what I noticed was, then I just didn't have. I'm just either high energy or I'm crashing out, and and then I'm no good to anybody. And interestingly, I had a conversation with a client this week. Where I've had a few actually with different clients about where they're very good with their diet in the week and do, go to the gym. And then at the weekend, it's a completely the opposite situation. It's eat all the food and it's kind of hit the booze and things like that. And what I've said is you're probably too punishing on yourself in the week to the point yeah. where all your brain can think about the weekend is pleasure. Like, you know, you're just giving yourself that kind of dangling the carrot, the dopamine surge is there whereas if you maybe had a glass of wine in the week and and took more breaks from work and and maybe had a meal out you know rather than just you know I'm going to be like a saint Monday to Friday that it would be easier and the body could switch into the different modes and you wouldn't feel this need to over consume everything and I don't just mean food I mean we kind of over consume Mm. it could be anything you know kind of caffeine alcohol consumerism shopping like you just can't yeah you know, indulgence you, yeah yeah mm-hmm. you've just got nothing kind of no, no natural feel goods left if you if mm-hmm. that's how you're kind of running your life I mean what would be yeah. good to do as well is we've, we've covered loads I'm really chuffed but what do you think I've mentioned caffeine and I, I can't talk to you about caffeine because it, it, it's, it's <laughs> the love of my life <laughs> I've tried so hard to give it up and I just you're still on it then yeah still on the you, caffeine. do you know what I do I'm, I've I've got decaf in there now so I'm doing quite well so decaf green tea I quite like decaf black tea I like decaf coffee for me it's almost like the more I say it the more I'm like I'll just have a cheeky espresso it just becomes a thing where I don't know. I focus on it more. So I know I need to, I don't know. I think I'm probably best giving it up on holiday when it's like no pressure. I can, I can have a nap if I want to. But anyway, I was going to say, could you talk through some of the key things that people have to consider that may be affecting their sleep and, and some things that, that they maybe hadn't thought about. So you've mentioned kind of routine and things like that. So meal timing, uh, but some key things in terms of what people might be eating, drinking, or kind of exercise timing, those, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, obviously coffee, coffee is a big one. So I always say that this is three golden rules. The first one is routine. So the best way to get a, a solid routine is to wake up at the same time every day to make kick off your circadian rhythm the same time every day your body loves routine and then you'll start to notice that you'll have the sleep window everyone has a different sleep window in the evening so start to tune into when is your natural time to fall asleep and if you go to sleep at the time your sleep window you'll have the best quality sleep as well so so routine the other one is obviously caffeine caffeine i mentioned adenosine early on the calls early on the talk so yeah adenosine will will um, be blocked by caffeine so actually your brain will not be able to kind of read the signals from the adenosine that's what's happening when you're drinking too much um coffee so as much as you can depends everyone has a very different sensitivity level i can't handle it at all but yeah if you can reduce it in the afternoon um just reduce 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 to the point where you know obviously if it's something that you absolutely love then i don't recommend taking it out completely because you will just become fixated on it so uh <laughs> you don't want to do that alcohol is a big one as well like you can cut down alcohol in the evening maybe cut it out completely again if it's something that you really love to unwind just be reasonable don't punish yourself you know but but play around seeing what is going to have the biggest impact for you it might be alcohol and you might find actually the benefits from getting good quality night's sleep far outweigh that kind of glass of wine in the evening so just play around with that I was just going to say that the other thing to maybe consider is I work with quite a lot of women who are perimenopause, menopause, or Mm. even if you're still cycling, notice that at different times of the month or in different phases of the hormone transitions, they will have an additive effect, both caffeine and alcohol, because one's kind of upregulating the nervous system and then one's affecting blood sugars and body temperature, both affect body temperature, actually. So if you're already struggling with hot flushes and things like that, then they definitely will be probably something to to consider reducing and then eventually dropping out altogether but I think like you said people have to get to their pain point with the with the kind yeah. of outcome first exactly feel feel what's right you've got to have the right kind of a 
cost benefit basically analysis <laughs> on it. You don't want to have to like give up too much, but you want to get the best benefit as well. Yeah, the other thing, obviously, that's really, really important that we talk about a lot is screens. And that includes all screens, phone, uh, even a Kindle, iPad, TV. Reducing that in the evening makes a big, big difference. And it's something we've all got completely addicted to. So <laughs> um, it's um, it's in everyone's lives. I think I do surveys on all the webinars, and it's typically about 85% of people are on their screens five minutes or less before going to sleep. So it's, it's huge yeah, and you're not alone. <laughs> so there's a lot of people who, who are struggling with this and just even increasing that to 15 minutes, half an hour before bed will make a big difference because the, the blue light will be blocking the production of melatonin, which is the hormone that tells your body it's time to start the process of falling asleep. But it's also, it's not just the blue light, it's also the kind of the connectivity to all the stimulation of your day. You know, when you're on a screen, it's very stimulating. Your brain is thinking. You're also denying that time to process and unwind and relax before you go to sleep. Um, as we mentioned earlier, you know, so those kind of unprocessed emotions and memories will kind of wake you up in the middle of the night instead. So allowing that that kind of evening routine is really important. Um, not Do you also sport. notice, I don't know if you, you don't obviously go on a screen at night. I'm quite good, I have to say. That's the one yeah. thing that I'm like, nah, it, it just after being on a screen all day for work, it's the last thing I yeah. want to do. Yeah. But, um, yeah. If I do go on, it's it's usually something like right move or bookings.com or Airbnb <laughs> because I'm like, God, it's been a hard day. Like I need something to look forward to. So I, I yeah. always try and plan like the grass is greener house move or something. And it it's so wiring. And then you, yeah. like, and you never book anything or, or but you obviously don't buy a house when you're in bed, but like, <laughs> you never actually, but it's, it's so that like behavior is addictive. And I asked in a group once, is anyone else addicted to right move, even though you have no intention of moving? And so many people are, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's that planning that you're in that planning mindset still. Yeah. You know, that like, okay, what am I going to do about this? And it's slightly controlling mentality as well. Like, okay, I need to fix something here. I need to kind of figure this out. And, you know, and it's that kind of, and you're searching and you're, you're analyzing, you know, all of that is not something you should be doing in the evening. The evening is a time to be creative, to be um, connecting with people at conversation, is to be processing, is to be dreaming. Sure. Why not dream about the perfect house, but don't be planning it or analyzing. That's the difference. Booking book a survey. <laughs> 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 yeah so just avoiding anything that's stimulating in the evening basically like and that includes sports you know ideally don't do sports too late either that can be very stimulating people people say you know they they really notice uh, they need that kind of wind down time in the evening meals don't eat heavy difficult to digest meals too late in the evening either and um, we need sort of two hours two and a half three hours maybe even before going to bed to have a have a big meal and you can always snack if you're still hungry. You don't want to be hungry at night either. So yeah, those are well, a few of you, my tips, but there's plenty the, more. Oh, with the food side, I was going to say, you you would definitely agree that everything from kind of breakfast to to the evening meal, to the timing of it, to the, the macronutrient content is going to alter because it's altering your kind of hormonal rhythm in the day. It's going to alter the yeah. hormone rhythm across the night. So I just, I mean, I know a lot of kind of deniers who are, you know, often we'll say it's the coffee or it's the work stress, but they're eating quite a processed refined diet and, and I mm. often kind of say, no, 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 it's, it's all of it. <laughs> to be honest, it's all of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. You have to look at the bigger picture, like you say, and look at all of the different things that might be impacted. So many different things. And the important thing is not to try and tackle it all at once, maybe just pick one or two things and then see the, see the benefit on your sleep. And then that'll encourage you to hopefully make further changes. But I would say, yeah, definitely with the meal times, breakfast is super important when it comes to sleep even if you can't even if you just need a small breakfast but it sends that signal to your body that it's the beginning of your day it's time to start burning energy increasing your alertness so that you can get all of your energy and your alertness out of the way during the day and make space for the wind down in the evening again lunch not too late because if you leave lunch too late you'll see an increase in in stress hormones again so stress is really the the kind of the enemy of sleep so we need to keep stress hormones under control by having regular meal times balanced meals 
just making sure that your body is is nourished, is fed, is watered, um, is given everything it needs um, at the right time of day, according to your circadian rhythm. So as much as you play into your circadian rhythm and, and go with it, the better your circadian rhythm will be for you in terms of making sure you feel sleepy and awake at the right times. Awesome. A couple of final questions I wanted to ask you. So firstly, what about people who are in that kind of place that you were suffering with sleep disruption due to um, maybe breastfeeding, childcare, kids, perhaps Mm. got a puppy (laughs) or uh, working late with training late because they have to go. That's when football practice is training, working late because they've got clients over in the States. So they have to be online late. So they can't change that situation. What do you tend to advise in in the for for them? Yeah, so I think um, I mean all of those kind of open up all these other questions for me because when I look back to what I was going through, it was very much anxiety related and uh, kind of dealing with this huge psychological transition and maybe feeling unsupported. So you know, so that's kind of uh, I guess one thing. But what I'm hearing is as well when you when you talk about all this stuff, it's kind of the just the fact that sometimes we do go through stages in our life where sleep will be hard, (laughs) it will be hard to achieve. And it might be caring for an elderly parent or yeah, being woken up by a child or a puppy. And so I think, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is be kind to yourself and, and don't get stressed about the lack of sleep. So we have this kind of also in society, this idea of like a perfectionist relationship with sleep. We have to get, you know, all or nothing. You need eight hours or it's ruined. You know, my my day is ruined and I have a sleeping problem. And it's really important not to go down that path, but just to keep getting as much sleep as you can or as much rest. You know, if you're tired, give yourself space during the day to have a rest. Try not to push your need for sleep out of the way, you know, kind of accept that it is there. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, I found so sort of transformational was to accept my need for rest. um, And that paves the way to start making space for it in your life. If it's, if it's not easy to come by and that might be through napping, it might be through asking the help from somebody asking for a few nights off uh, where you can kind of get get the sleep you need so yeah don't build up a kind of stressful relationship with sleep be kind to yourself be creative about different ways that you can get that rest and the sleep that you need and know that you know a lot of these things it will pass and your sleep will rebound if you allow it and, and kind of keep keep positive Oh, that's a nice little pep talk. I was going to ask about napping, but you said it. So, so you are, you would recommend napping just as a, a kind of un- relaying your responsibility so you could do a bit of a catch up and then obviously. Napping is brilliant. Yeah. Napping can be really great. And I know it's not easy for many people. So I do recommend yoga nidra because if you're somebody that struggles to fall asleep, then yoga nidra will kind of lead you towards sleeping or at least resting if you don't fall asleep. And if you're somebody that if you fall asleep, you're, you know, you're gone for too long. The yoga nidra will wake you up and will hold you in an in-between state so that it won't let you go too deeply into a sleep either. So um, yeah, yoga nidra is a great kind of napping alternative, uh, but napping is, is fantastic, fantastic, especially in those periods when you, you just simply cannot get the sleep you need at night. But I know, yeah, napping can be, can be challenging. So again, like asking, you know, your relationship with nothing and resting and sleeping during the day because we feel guilty we feel lazy if we do it but you know is that is that right and it doesn't even have to be like you said napping occasionally I've just go and lie down for 10 minutes and I'll, I'll kind of sit there and set an alarm just got I've got a bird song alarm so it's not a horrible mm. one and just close my eyes and just just try to empty my mind like you know I'll sometimes do a meditation but I also find that just I often then kind of need to go and step outside get a bit of fresh air to wake myself up a bit but then you do find yourself so much more productive and then just a Matt will vouch a nicer person to be around (laughs) exactly it's that dialing dialing down sometimes or powering down you can think of it like that you know but it's it can be just lying on the bed for 10 minutes set an alarm and just try not to do anything for 10 minutes or listen to music if you find it too boring sometimes finding the meditation can be a hassle. So if you don't have one to hand, then yeah, just, just take 10 minutes, lie down. It's really not long and it'll change your day. Oh, I want to do that now. <laughs> okay. Final question is, 
Can you tell, I'm very curious, can you tell me a typical day in the life of a sleep coach as in you, obviously? Imagining (laughs) it starts with a chamomile tea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, great. Well, I always wake up around seven, very naturally, if I'm not woken up by the kids. We always have breakfast together, changes from day to day. But I usually drink green tea, but I'm quite into oolang tea at the moment. It's kind of blue tea. So it's not as strong and bitter as the green tea, but it doesn't, it's not as much caffeine or taine as, as, as the black tea. And it's something kind of drink throughout the day. So yeah, I try and try and, um, I love tea. So I experiment with that. That's what they say as well, you know, it's going to make it your passion as well. So, you know, if you, if you're fine, you love coffee, but try and love an alternative if you can. I often try and get a walk in in the morning. So drop the kids at 8.15, try and walk between 8.15 and nine to the park Getting outside, getting some sunlight is really important during the day. Um, getting your body moving. If I don't do that, I'll do a bit of stretching or, or exercise just at home. Yeah, lunch, 12.30. I, I think I have a very regulated circadian rhythm, which means that I feel hungry at the same time every day. It's like really routine. Gosh, this is sounding boring, isn't it? But yeah, no, no, it's not at all. You've got to tell us what <laughs> breakfast and lunch is though. We're foodies. So we'll be like, but oh, what okay, did you foodies, eat? Foodies. <laughs> Right, quite like banana and yogurt and uh, and porridge, uh, kind of, you know, oats. If not, we have an amazing bakery that does like really great kind of um, very dark brown bread that I have with almond butter or hazelnut butter. Oh, nice. Sometimes some, some corn crackers because the kids love that. So yeah, that's breakfast. Lunch, um, I mean, I love working from home as well, like with my husband here, because we share cooking the meal at lunch and he's great at making a massive salad. He's actually more on the kaffir side. So he's somebody that needs a lot of fresh food and I actually need sort of more warming food, but quite like a big salad at lunch. So he'll make something with tons of veg, which is great. So then I make the evening meal. Uh, back to work, finish work at five. And, you know, I mean, that's one of the easier things about the kids that have kind of natural break from work like I actually have to stop at five and yeah and then I eat at six with the kids actually as well so really early dinner (laughs) Um, I'm definitely an early bird and then yeah once they've gone to bed at eight if I do more work I'll definitely finish at nine Um, nine is my absolute cutoff and then I like to um, do some more yoga so I make the habit to kind of go upstairs because if I stay downstairs and just kind of milling around, I'm still in my slightly planning, doing mindset of like, Oh, I've got to think about this. I've got to think about that and get this ready. And you know, have I done this? And so I just try and go up to my bedroom. And for me, that's the real cutoff point. And I associate my bedroom with kind of winding down and calming. It's a very, it's at the top floor. So it's very, kind of safe space um your bedroom environment is really key that you feel relaxed there you have some prop setups to do some kind of restorative yoga and I always read for quite a long time as well about as much as long as I can without falling asleep my, <laughs> I think one of my problems is trying to stay awake until kind of 10 because otherwise I'm sleeping I'll wake up too early so trying <laughs> trying to keep myself awake till about 10 to 30 without falling asleep uh, with, with my book is my it's one of my challenges <laughs> do you not watch any tv across the day oh yeah no, that's true I will do usually I love watching tv when I've just put the kids to bed because it's just such a nice indulgence so you know, just watching something that cheers me up. I can't watch anything kind of too stressful in the evening because that will impact my sleep. And I have got very sensitive sleep actually. So I, if I do kind of, and it's very easily disrupted and that's why I kind of understand what people are going through. But um, yeah, so watch a bit of TV, but again, try and try and stop around nine. If it's a film, we might finish later. It's the same. If you want to do something different to what's good for sleep, then that's fine. You just might have, a poorer night's sleep, but that's okay because you can make up for it the next day if you see what I mean. So I just try not to have too many disrupted sleeps. You know, if we go out, now we can go out for a meal, you know, we'll go to bed later and that's fine. I might be a bit tired the next day, but that's fine. I'll just have an early night the next night. So yeah, just kind of not worrying about it really, I think is key. And there are times when I wake up at 5.30 because I've been worrying about something the night before and I'll just try and practice yoga nidra on my own between 5.30 and 7 just to rest and explore what's there and just use it as an occasion to say, oh, this is interesting, what's happening here? I'm just not stressed about it really. 
What's probably annoying about that though is if that was me, I'd fall asleep at five to seven. It's <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> the alarm goes off. I'm like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Again, might happen. That's okay. You know, try <laughs> not to worry about it. Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been really awesome. And I'm sure people have got a lot to take away. Where can they, you've mentioned uh, restfully.com. Where can people find out more about what you're doing, your awesome content? Where can they get in touch with you? You're still doing one-to-ones as well as Nourish App and, and corporate um, talks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's restfully, restscorefully.com. And you can find out there and contact me um, by all means. Also rest um, underscore fully on Instagram and at the Nourish app as well on Instagram. Um, and you can download the app to listen as well to my Yoga Nidra. It's free on, it's part of the free version of, of the app. So you can look on there as well for more of my content. Yeah, that would be the best place to go. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I'm sure we'll probably get you back on again, maybe for, for some, some Q&A sessions. I know you're doing one with our members in, in 365, so that's going to be awesome as well. Yeah, Always learning yeah. from you. Good. Looking forward to that. Yeah. At some point, I will have given up caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> These things take time. These habits, you know, can't rush it. Yeah. Decades. <laughs> oh thank you so much Dot. have an amazing day guys hope you enjoyed this episode please leave a review if you did and uh, share it with anyone with some sleep issues that you think will benefit from everything that the awesome dot has told us Uh, take care everyone bye bye